When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy. Or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut skin on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. What would you like with your fries? Try them today. Only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's. Taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy. Or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut skin on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. What would you like with your fries? Try them today. Only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's. Taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. Wire Podcast. This is your host, Josh Keatley. With me, as always, Adam Moore. we got a special guest on with us later this evening. But first, I want to say happy birthday to our beloved co-host, Adam Moore. Adam, how old are you? 42? <laughs> 31. 31. I feel 42 some days. He went to Top Golf on Sunday. First of all, I wasn't invited, but that's okay. <laughs> Second of all, did you you didn't even have you didn't even stop and get your Donos? No. So first off, let's address you and Top Golf. For my bachelor party, you did go to Top Golf. Oh my and God, I, think, I remember that. Yeah, and you might be the worst golfer I've ever seen. Yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah, I'm bad. <laughs> I'm real bad. I'm you real got bad. you got you got too many. You got too much biceps and shoulders. You know that's a, that's a nice compliment, but we both know it's just yeah. because I suck. <laughs> You're all glamour muscles, dude. You gotta <laughs> work out your core and your legs. You're all glamour muscles. <laughs> well, like, you but, know. Yeah, but I I mean, they Top Golf's only allowing like six people in a bay right now, so. Oh, dude, I'm just being a dick. No, I know. I'm not. I I know. Fuck. Dude, if you would invite me, I wasn't going to go anyways. <laughs> but no, I didn't I didn't stop and eat Giordano's. I've I had it in Chicago though, I'm almost certain. It's been a few years since I've dude, been there. Dude, it's right behind Type Top Golf now. Is it new? Sure. It's got to be new, right? Two years or so. Yeah. But it's awesome. Yeah. I can't remember when I went to Chicago if I had Giordano's or Lou Manotti's. One of those two. But they, it was it was it was good. It was really delicious. But yeah, I, Giordano's. I Giordano's is the shit. Let's talk about one more piece of news before we get uh, Vince on here. The in the indoor football league, which is like if you thought I was an arena football league fan, I I was 100%. Indoor football league is like I know a lot of dudes that played indoor football league. Okay, so if, and if I know them. It ain't a good league, but they're coming to Columbus. <laughs> they just announced the team today, announced the jerseys. I implore you to go on there, check out the jerseys. They are pretty cool. They're working with the Columbus Zoo. I guess they're going to be the Columbus Wild Dogs, and I will be buying Wild season dogs. tickets. Will you? Are I mean, they probably going to be like 10 bucks, dude. I don't say they're only going to let like 400 people in the stadium probably. Well, they, they delayed the season. They were supposed to be in 2021. It got delayed till 2022. So Okay. All right. We'll see what we'll see what they can do. My understanding is that there's going to be some former Buckeyes coach and Bobby Olive, Stanley Jackson, guys like that. Um, so we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. Do you think we're going to play this year? Uh, you know, now that you know baseball is starting to happen, you're starting to see teams like I think that the Nationals basically said we're not going to Miami to play the Marlins because like half their team tested positive for COVID, so they're just not going to play those games. You've had like six or seven Patriots players say, "Nah, I'm, I'm opting out." Now they have a ton of cap room. They're going to go inside Clowney. They're going to be awful this year and get Lawrence. 
Or we, uh, may, or we may not play. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Um, you know, these guys have so much money that I don't know if opting out is that big of a deal for them. You know what I mean? It's like I, I don't really know what the emphasis is for them to go out, go out and go to work unless they actually. I, I just I'm just not seeing it. You know what I mean? A lot of these guys, a lot of these guys are. are I, I don't. I don't. Let me put. Let me preface that. I think that a lot of these guys would go out and play, but you're seeing a lot of these guys that have families at home with young kids, and their wives are pregnant, and their girlfriends are pregnant, and you know their side mamas are pregnant. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, like, but uh, I just, I don't, I don't really see it being a big deal. Even if, you know, you see a lot of people. I'm not one to talk about coronavirus and the effects of it and all that good stuff. I don't really know. I'm not really sure. Uh, but even if it's not a very big deal, even if it is like like the flu, like everybody says, we don't really know. We don't really know what the long-term effects are and all that stuff, and it's just not worth it for them. Now, me, if my job calls me tomorrow and says, hey, you got to come in the office with 7,000 sick, sick people, I'd be like, okay, I'll be there because I need my job. But that's how it goes. But we're real excited tonight. Tonight we got Vince Workman on. Uh, I'm very excited. Vince Workman was in the NFL for eight years. So played with the Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Carolina Panthers when they were an expansion team and the Indianapolis Colts. So I'm very excited to talk to him about being the pro. Adam and I have a lot of respect for anybody that can play the game professionally, uh, but we've never talked to someone with his pedigree of football. Um, we've interviewed a lot of rookies that are really going to really going to try to work on that back end roster spot. You know, we've never interviewed Jalen Marshall, who's the NFL for chunks of three seasons. Uh, and I have the utmost respect for him and his journey, but Vince Workman was in the NFL for eight freaking years. So how did you get, how did you even get this set up? Well, I, I harassed him at an autograph event. <laughs> you got to tell the people about that. Oh, I, I, I was going to mention it to him. I went to uh, Triple Play Sports over in Westerville. He had a signing for about 750 I went up. I, I complimented his biceps. The next thing you know, he's on our show. He might not even know it's me, dude, because I messaged him on Facebook, and I don't mean, you know, I mean, like we wear masks and stuff. So he might not even know that I was the same dude that was there. All right, we are talking right. to former Ohio State running back, uh, Ohio State legend, really, Vince Workman. Um, to give you a little background on Vince's resume, he was the 1988 Ohio State team captain, the Green Bay Packers franchise record holder for most receptions in a game, and the Panthers franchise record holder for most receptions in a game, both by running backs. Vince, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you very much for uh, having me on tonight. Well, like I said, we're excited, man. I mean, that, that's quite the resume. That's two franchises where you own the record for most receptions in the game by a running back. You had 12 with the Packers against the Vikings in 1992 and then eight against the Rams in 1995. Is that – that's pretty surreal, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, I think, you know, for one, the fact that, you know, I know for a fact the Packers record still stands. I'm not 100% sure about the Carolina Panthers record. They got a – they got a pretty good running back over there now that's breaking a lot of records. So he may have already broken that record or it may have been broken at one time before. I'm not sure. I checked. Uh, it said it, it said was still yours. Oh, is it? Okay. I, that's well, what, I, that's I what I looked up today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, haven't, you know, I haven't checked on it myself. But if it is, that's, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, because Christian McCaffrey's no joke. Uh, you and I actually oh, no. met. This uh, Saturday, I don't know if you remember, I was I was first in line at uh, Triple Triple Play, the sports card shop. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I complimented your biceps. Yeah. No, I complimented yours. Now you know, <laughs> I had to get my I had to get in the gym so I could look like you. 
<laughs> well, I appreciate that. But uh, I actually was listening to you on another podcast where you kind of talked about how you used to collect trading cards. Is that right? Oh, yes. When I was a kid, you know, in the 70s growing up, you know, I'm going to tell my age here a little bit. But, you know, I was, a, you know, I that always, you know, since from the time I can remember was a big football fan. And, you know, trading cards back then were uh, weren't as popular as they are today. There were, you know, you were limited to how I many. I think Tops may have been the only trading card out there at the time and uh you know i used to get trading card they were like i'll never forget they they were 16 that 16 cents for a packet for a deck of cards and it had a, a bubble gum you know the bubble gum in the pack of cards oh jeez. so i remember having that and i wish you know and the back then i didn't think about it you know about holding on to them or anything like that you know they had you know had little brothers and passing on to them and whatever they did with it and so on and so on you know, but if I had held on to some of those cards and known that how they would, you know, how big it would be in today's, a lot of those cards would be uh, worth some money. Yeah, probably. Do you uh, do you collect oh, yeah. your cards? Do you have a big stack of cards that I mean, because you have, I mean, what a million cards that have your face on them? <laughs> I don't know about a million, but yeah, I do have some cards from because uh, when I was in the league, whenever they would make cards, they would give the player. Uh, you know, we, you know, they signed our, our, they had the rights to our, our likeness and things like that. And so they would send us a, a, an actual deck. So they would send us whatever deck that was. Not every car company did it, but the, but a lot of the car uh, companies did send us the, the uh, deck of cars. So I do have a few of them. There you go. I forgot. I got so excited to talk to you and, and dive into this. I forgot to introduce you. We got Adam Moore is also on the line. He's my co-host, and I, I'm being selfish. I just completely all forgot right. about. I forgot he even existed. <laughs> That's all right. No man. problem. No I, problem. I How you doing, talking. Adam? Good, Vince. Nice, nice to talk to you. I could sit here and talk, listen to you guys talk all day. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why here. You also, I heard you. Oh, I heard you on a prior podcast mention uh, you had a, a prized Walter Payton autograph, and it was kind of an interesting story yeah. on how you got that. Oh yes, yes, I uh, was a uh, you know grew up was a Walter Payton fan. I wore number thirty four in high school because of Walter, you know, and uh, you know tried to mimic my game after him. Obviously, you know he's the great one in my opinion, the greatest running back of all time, and you know, it's, you know, you can't copy him, but. Uh, when I was a freshman at Ohio State, Mike Tomczak was drafted by the Bears, his rookie year at the Bears, and they went to the Super Bowl. And I remember uh, asking Mike, he was back back home for for a little bit, and I asked him, I said, hey, man, can you get me a Walter Payton autograph? Because, you know, that's my idol, and I told him the story and everything. And, uh, you know, he ended up sending it to me, you know, sending the autograph uh, picture of Walter, and I still have it. Wow, that's awesome. You still have it today, huh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But did you did you ever get to have like a one on one like session with Walter? I mean, you were in the league. No, I never never really got a chance to sit down with him. He retired in '87. I came into the league in his last season '87. I came in the league in '89, and I would see him. You know, whenever he played the Bears, he'd be on the sideline sometimes. But I never really got a chance to sit down and and talk to him. Now I I, I want to dive in. I, I've bored everybody enough talking about hobby shops and autographs and all that. But let's dive into your your football background. As everybody knows, because I, it's been mentioned numerous times, you were a huge huge recruit from Dublin Kaufman. Uh, you have I think you still have every rushing record there. So you were recruited by Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Notre Dame. I mean pretty much everybody, right? Yeah, I had a pretty uh, good list of teams that were interested in me, fortunately. 
what what was that process like? Uh, how, you know, it was. I was. I was very fortunate to have a uh, high school coach, Todd Alice, who had, uh, you know, had walked on at Ohio State in the '70s, played under Woody Hayes in the mid '70s, and became a graduate assistant for Ohio State during those years. Also, he had uh, an experience of, you know, being on the other side, you know, being part of the recruiting process and things like that, helping out, helping with that. So when I, you know, and we, and the, plus Dublin had a few athletes before me who were getting recruited. Hey, we got recruited also. So it wasn't new to him. So during that whole process, he just kind of, you know, held my hand through it, so to speak, and uh, guided me through the whole process. And, you know, you know, made me focus on football and not worry about the recruiting process. He took care of that. He talked to the coaches. So during my senior year of high school, which is different now than it was you know, different now than it was back then. You know, we didn't have social media, and you know, kids didn't have cell phones and things like that. So, the kids today are more are easy accessible to get to than we were back then. You know, you had to go through the school to actually get to the to the to the athlete, and you know, had to go through the athletic director and the coaches. So, the coaches were the the buffer between the schools and the athlete, and uh, he was the buffer for me, and uh, you know, did a, a great job of you know, guiding me and, you know, he let me make my own choice. He just gave me a list. Every time I went on a recruiting business, he gave me a list to write down, you know, different things that I was interested in and check off that, mark off that if I found that at that particular school. You know, different things like the social life, you know, you know, the, did I like the campus, you know, the, how were the, the players mingling with each other, you know, different things like that. How was I, how was I treated by, you know, the, the players and the, uh, and the coaches during my visit. And uh, he had that uh, list for me, which you know definitely helped me in my recruiting process. It made it a lot easier. I knew what I was looking for going into it and uh, things like that. And for me, I, uh, you know, you're allowed to have five official visits back then. And I only took four because there was really only a few schools that I was interested. I left that fifth one open just in case somebody late came in that I might've been interested in. And, you know, I went to, like you say, Ohio State, Notre Dame, that team up north in uh, in uh, Michigan State, and uh, but there were other schools that were strong interest. You know, most of the all the Mac schools at the time were interested. And then, uh, West Virginia came on strong. Penn State, uh, North Carolina State came on strong. I got uh, letters from from Florida State. You know, uh, out out west was Arizona State. You know, Washington. You know, and schools like that. So, but I didn't have any interest of, of leaving you know the midwest i wanted to stay close to home so if arizona state recruited you that cooper was at arizona state during the time so you actually had a prior relationship with him before he got at ohio well, state no, i never i never i never took no i never took a visit out there they just you know sent letters because he back then you didn't have like i say you, you know didn't really have the phone calls as they do now with players it was more of just a lot of things was done by letters so either either wrote a letter or they faxed her your school, and I got a letter from them from uh, Arizona State saying they were interested, but I never really uh, looked into. I never dove dove into looking at Arizona State. They were just one of the schools out west that were they were interested in me. 
Do you think that the way the recruiting landscape has changed? I mean, back, even back when I was in high school, I mean, you had guys that would basically sign their letter of intent in January. You didn't really know where you were going. Like you said, you had to fill out surveys and all that stuff. Do you think that the recruiting landscape that has changed because of social media, because of YouTube, and kids are announcing sooner, is that better or is that worse for a high school kid? You know what? It's hard to say. I guess, you know, me being old school, it would be easier to say is this worse for the kids because, you know, it, it, they're in the spotlight sooner. You know what I mean? You know, every kid has a highlight tape now where back in my time, you know, if a coach wanted to look at you, they would come and watch a film of a whole game. It wasn't just a highlight. And, you know, so they came in and sit down and watch, you know, film of you. So they see your, your good plays as well as your bad plays, you know. And nowadays, and it's not the kids' fault, it's just technology. You know, like I said, kids are, are easy to, to get to because everything is boom, boom, boom right there. And for for coaches, I guess it's easier. They can they can recruit uh, more nationally now because you don't have to live in the same area to, to actually get film on a kid. You know what I mean? Back then, you know, like say Arizona, Arizona State, for example, if they had interest in me, they would have we would have to either send them film of our games or somebody would have to fly out here to watch to watch game film. You know, where now they don't have to leave Arizona State to see a kid from Dublin or a kid from the Midwest. They can stay in Arizona and watch film on the on the kid. So for for in that aspect, it's easier for the kids because they can be seen by more schools a lot easier than it was back in my time. That makes sense. Now you were a part. All those schools you named had pretty historic coaches involved. I mean, Michigan State, for instance, Nick Saban was there at the time. And I believe you was, mentioned before that. Main, yeah, he was the main recruit for me. He was the uh, the main recruit uh, for Michigan State. How that was, was when that? He recruited me. I mean, I, I liked him. He was a good guy. You know, he was good recruiting everything. It was just, you know, the one thing that, that, that just turned me off of Michigan State was, you know, when I was sitting in the, in uh, he was sitting in my house. And we were sitting there talking with my great uncle, you know, Nick was the defensive back coach. And he told me that, you know, I could come in and start as a, as a true freshman. He said, don't believe what you hear about uh, Lorenzo White. He's not that good. You could come in and start as a freshman. And I knew <laughs> Lorenzo White was, was very good. And I wasn't going to come in and start as a freshman, just like I knew at Ohio State. I wasn't going to come in and start as a freshman because we had Keith Byers. You know, it was the same situation. So I'm like, uh, something don't, something don't seem right right there. You know, and not that I didn't <laughs> trust him, I didn't trust him, but you know, just that 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 kind of you know turned me off immediately. You know, with Michigan State, just because you know I'm thinking, okay, he's not telling me the truth. You know, now you know is he going to not tell me the truth at another time? But he, but you know, it turned out that he really wanted me as a defensive back. And, uh, you know, I played running back. And I wouldn't have never said no, I wouldn't play defensive back. But if he, you know, would have told me up front that he wanted me to play defensive back, you know, you never know what might have happened. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of, that that's very interesting. I mean, could you – at the time, it's probably hard to think about it because you were so young. But did, could you kind of tell that Nick Saban was going to be – I mean, do you, did you think he was going to be special when you were talking to him? Did you know – could you ever envision that Nick Saban was going to be the guy that we see with, you know, six national championships right now? Uh, no, nah, you got to think. I remember that was – we talked about back in 1980, 84, 85 when, 
you know, I'm in high school, so I couldn't predict what was going to happen in the 2000s. That's you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I, mean I, I liked him. I liked him. I thought he was, you know, a, a, felt that he was a good coach. You know, and other than that one incident, you know, I had no issues with him at all. It was just that one, that one incident, that one saying that just kind of turned me off. But I, I did like him. I thought he was, uh, you know, he was a good recruiter. No question about it. You know, but that just that one thing just turned me off. Well, you you talked to a coach that was that was already historic at the time for the team up north and Bo Schimbeckler. What was it like interacting oh, yeah. with him? Because he goes down in history as one of the greats as well. Oh yeah, it was very. Uh, intriguing i i really liked both coach and beckler you know when i uh was getting recruited by i knew i knew the history with him and, and woody hayes and you know him being one of woody's boys and how much woody you know liked him and respected him i should say and uh you know i had a very good good meetings with him you know going into his office to meet him when i was on my recruiting visit and he, he came down to my house to visit i remember picking him up and uh at Don Scott Airport, and I had this old 1972 Buick Skylark, and I had to pick him up, and I was like, oh, man. I'm thinking to myself, he ain't going to he gonna not want to recruit me because I got this old beat-up car I'm picking Really? Up. He's, probably, he's probably used to, you know, nice cars, and this is what I'm, this is my, you know, I'm young, naive, you know, I'm thinking that he ain't going to want to recruit me because <laughs> I got to be picking him up in this old beat-up car, but, you know, it was a good visit, and I really liked him, and when I went to my visit, at uh, at the school, I had a really good visit up there, and you know, and he was just very, you know, the mystique of Motion Blecker Beckler was, uh, you know, very present. Sitting in his office, it was almost like I jokingly say it was almost like I was feel like I was getting hypnotized, you know, looking at him with him sitting there, and uh, you know, and I really, you know, had, you know, strong interest, you know, because of him more than more than anything, more than so the school, just because of him as the coach. I had a strong interest in going to school up there because of him. And I felt that they were very truthful, which they were. You know, when I look back on it now, after we were getting recruited, he was telling me that I was the only running back in their class that they were recruiting. And it turned out that I was, you know. And um, so, you know, I, and I'm not, I don't disapp- I'm not disappointed in my decision of not going there. But, you know, he was very uh, influential, a very influential person, somebody that I definitely respected. So how was the how did Ohio State sway you? How was your official visit? Did you meet you know who did you meet with? What convinced you to stay home in, at Ohio State? Well, my heart was always always here at Ohio State, but you know I didn't do my due diligence. Like I said, with my high school coach, he talked to me about making sure you know I checked other schools out just to be sure, just to look at other schools. But you know, in my heart, you know Ohio State was was where I wanted to go. And again, like I said, even though I knew Keith Byers was was coming back for another year, I probably, I, you know, probably was going to get registered freshman year. At least I thought thought that might happen. And then, uh, you know, you go on your recruiting visit, and I'm going into, uh, you know, they they got your schedule for you. You go into meet with the instructors, professors, or you meet with the coaches. You meet with some of the other players. And then on one of the days they had they had had lunch at the old highlight which the highlight is not there anymore. You know, I don't know how, you know, how old you guys are. You may not remember the highlight, but it was a very popular spot. And on, it was on the uh, Olden Tangent River Road, but it was a very popular spot. And so I go to follow the waitress to my seat, and she goes to sit me down. And as you know, the highlight had these really back tall booths, tall backs to the booth. And then I go to sit down, 
And when I get to my seat, Woody Hayes is sitting in there, sitting in my booth. And they sit me down with Woody Hayes, and I'm sitting there like, oh, my goodness. My eyes are wide open. I, you know, my eyes are like saucers. And I'm sitting there across my hands, I fold my hands, and I'm just looking at him. And all I could do is just say, yes, sir, no, sir. I couldn't, really couldn't speak because Woody was, you know, they had him prepped. But he knew, he knew everything about me. And we talked, he talked about, you know, being from, from Central Ohio and things like this. And he said, son, you're from here. And he, you know, slammed his, did not slam it, but he, you know, took his fist and slammed it on the table. And he's like, you're from here. You got to go here. And I was like, okay, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so I jokingly say, I walked away from there and they said, Vince, where are you going to school? I said, I'm going to Ohio State because Woody said I had to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, that's my Woody Hayes story. I went to Ohio State because Woody said I had to. Did you have any other interaction? I know he wasn't the coach when you were there, but I mean, he's such a legendary figure. Did you have any other interactions with him while you were at Ohio State? Um, well, yes, actually, you know, he would come to practice at times. So, you know, we would all, you know, get to see him at practice. Uh, but I was, uh, fortunately, uh, my sophomore year, I was awarded the Woody Hayes Award for a top player in the, the Michigan game. And I won the Woody Hayes Award in 1986. And Woody presented it to me. And unfortunately, he passed away about a month later after our banquet. And I was the last person to receive the Woody Hayes Award from Woody himself. So that's wow. uh, one of the things that I, you know, am, am honored to to be the person to receive the last Woody Hayes Award from Woody himself. That is, that's insane. Um, you, we talked about visiting Ohio State I don't know, I mean, how they did it when you were there. I know that when I was on doing my recruiting visits, I had a host, someone that I stayed with. Mm-hmm. Did you did you have anybody that you hosted with or any any like it was it a guy oh, yeah. like Keith Byers that was there that was walking you around? Actually, my host was Sonny Gordon. Sonny Gordon and Hayden Humphrey. Hayden it was Sonny was my official host, but because Hayden and I knew each other from high school, he he uh, tagged along also. He was you know part of the the, the host also. But Sonny Gordon was my host. Oh wow. He he yeah. was oh, he yeah. played he played defensive back. Is there was there a reason why they yeah. paired you two? Or? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why. You know, because and, and sometimes they don't always pair you with uh, with uh, your, your same position. You know, hmm. I think they may pick guys just based on possible personalities. May may they may think the personalities mesh, or it may be somebody from the hometown. Like you know, Sonny's from Middletown, so he weren't from my hometown. But you know, I don't know why they paired paired me with with Sonny. But yeah, Sonny Gordon was my host. He uh, he went on to have a hell of a career up north, if I remember right, with the Tiger Cats, I believe. Uh, but yeah, that's that's yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Who was your Who was your main recruiter at uh, Ohio State? Uh, with Bill Conley, and and Bill Conley was the lead recruiter, but I was getting recruited. You know, it was like a team. It was Coach Conley, Coach Tressel. Uh, Fred Puggage, they all had a hand in uh, recruiting me. And the, is that the same Bill Conley who was the head coach at Ohio Dominican? Yes, sir. Middletown High School. And he, he ended up after uh, he left uh, Ohio State when Earl was fired, he came and, and uh, coached at Dublin Kaufman for a couple of years. Really? And then went well, back to Ohio State. Yeah, yes. Well, we have something else yeah. in common. Bill Conley was a part of oh, my yeah. recruit. He recruited me when uh, I was going to Ohio Dominican. Not okay. the same thing. Not the same thing at all, but hey, <laughs> a <you> couple <laughs> levels lower. <laughs> well, we still stay. I still keep in contact with him. Actually, I just talked to him uh, 
just a few days ago, you know, so we still keep in contact with each other. Oh, wow. That's all. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know oh, all yeah. that. that. And what, what was your favorite memory at Ohio state? What's it, what's it like wearing the scarlet and gray? Well, you know, growing up here, it, you know, it was like a dream come true, you know, being a, a kid from central Ohio and, you know, seeing the Buckeyes every week and rooting for them, you know, to get out there and be on the run in the horseshoe is like, you know, I mean, I would think you would think every kid in, in Ohio's dream to play for Ohio State. Obviously, that's not the case. But in my case, it was a dream to play for Ohio State. Like I said, I went on these other recruiting trips, but in my heart, I, you know, my heart was always, you know, at Ohio State. And so for me to go out there and, and play for Ohio State was, uh, you know, one of those feelings that you just can't explain. It was just such a great honor and a dream come true. And, uh, you know, I would always cherish it. And I don't, you know, don't uh, have any any uh, regrets at all of choosing, choosing Ohio State. Because, you know, I went and visited Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, people have asked me, why didn't you go to Notre Dame? I said, well, for one, Notre Dame's head coach, with Jerry Faust, was on the hot seat and he was, you know, on the verge of getting fired, you know, so I would have been there just my freshman year with him and then had a new coach. Now I didn't know Lou Holtz was going to be the, the new coach, you know, and they ended up winning the national championship. And, uh, but, you know, I don't regret going to high state cause that's where I always wanted to go. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty cool too. When you look back at like your stats and like, I mean, I was watching the game against West Virginia uh, and the game, obviously the game against Michigan, I think it was 87 was Earl Bruce's last game. And you yeah. are such an athletic dude in Ohio state back then. Adam actually brought this on before we started recording that Ohio state was so focused on running with the power offense. You know, they had uh, Keith Byers and I, I think yeah. it was Jimmy Bryant who was there, George Cooper, but you're yeah. so athletic that they had to get you on the field that they even moved you to wide receiver. So it's pretty crazy to watch, how, you know, you being utilized like that. I mean, was that how how was that? What was that kind of pressure having to know the playbook for multiple positions and being, you know, knowing that you're so athletic that they had to put you on the field? Well, it was a, it was a situation that we were was forced to do that because uh, my sophomore year, I was a starting tailback my sophomore year. I lost my starting job a couple games because I was I had a, a fumble itis there for a few weeks. And uh, Jimmy Bryan came in and, you know, did very well. But then I ended up, you know, re, you know, regaining my my starting job, you know, towards the end of the season. And, you know, I rushed for over 1,000 yards as a sophomore, you know, only starting eight games. And, uh, you know, one of, one of the honors for me at the time, you know, I was the third sophomore to rush for 1,000 yards in the history of, at Ohio State. And uh, the first two was uh, Archie Griffin and Keith Byers were the first two to rush for 1,000 yards. And I rushed for a thousand yards. And then my junior year, going to my junior year, the first four games, I'm leading. You know, I'm, I got I'm averaging more uh, yards that year than I was previously. You know, that time of the season. And you know, we had lost Chris, Chris Carter that year, and Nate Harris are two starting wide receivers. And our only only uh, experienced receiver we had was Everett Ross. Ever Ross was the only returning receiver. We had a lot of young receivers, but none of them had any experience. And we struggled a little bit just because of that lack of experience. Plus, we had Tom Tupa, a new quarterback. You know, Tom's first year starting. He wasn't new, but he was his first year as a starter. And uh, so we struggled. And we had myself as a starting tailback. Jimmy was the backup, and Carlos Snow was a third-string tailback. And out of us three, I was the only one that was, was, was could make the move to receiver. You know, those other two, uh, not that they weren't good players, but they weren't, you know, I was more 
uh, receivers had a much receiver type body, or I, I had good enough hands and I could run routes well enough that I could move, make the move to receiver. And so, uh, remember after was it what game was it? after Indiana game? I think it was. Coach Bruce came and said, "Moving to receiver," and I said, "Okay, you know." And so I got moved to receiver. We were playing Purdue the very next game, and so I just. With that week, I had a week to prepare, go from starting tailback to starting wide receiver, to starting flanker, and I had a week to prepare. And uh, one of my teammates, every, after practice, you know, I, I would run extra routes and get extra practice. One of my uh, teammates, William White, who was a senior captain, would stay after practice to work with me. He was a cornerback, so he would play corner just to help me. He used to, you know, uh, being covered by somebody out there in that position. And our wide receiver coach worked with me, you know, for that week, just to get me prepared for that game. And, and the wide receiver coach at the time was Urban Meyer. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, Urban was, was the, my wide receiver coach. What was it like working with Urban back then? I was cool. I mean, he was very good coach. I mean, you know, he got me ready in the week to to, to play against Purdue and, uh, you know, ended up having some success in that game. And, uh, and Urban, you know, at the time, again, I couldn't predict that he would have the success he did, you know, in the future, but he was a good coach and he, you know, was very uh, into detail about everything, you know, and he did a good job being patient with me and, and helping me out for such a short, short period of time to get, to get ready. No, and I, I have to ask everybody, uh, the, the photos of Urban Meyer from the eighties go viral. Did he really have that terrible mustache? <laughs> oh yes, Oh yeah. But the, must, but the mustache That's... was in style back then. What was it? On, on his face? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, it was wow. good style. Maybe not that thick, but there were there were guys. A lot of guys had mustaches. <laughs> it not, as thick, not as thick as his. Yeah. No. Oh yeah. All right. Well, you no, you mentioned young. you know because Urban Urban was very young. He was the GA the year before. He was a graduate assistant the year before, and oh, uh, is that right? And then Coach Tress Coach Tressel went to Youngstown State, and so when Tress went to Youngstown State, Dino Urban became the the receiver coach. So Tressel was there when you were there too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tress was there. Yeah, what he was, was there it? also. What was Tressel coaching? Did you have any interactions with him or any one-on-one time with he was, him? He was, a, he was a receiver coach. He was the receiver coach. Oh, is that right? There. I had yeah, no idea. Coach. Yes. Wow. Oh, yeah. and, so we had, uh, like I tell people, you know, I have the unique, uh, I should not have I have the unique honor to have, you know, had a, a ties with every coach from Woody to, to Urban. You know, because wow. Woody, when you know the story with Woody and recruiting, and you know the Woody Hayes Award, Earl was my head coach. Coach Trust was on the staff. Urban was on the staff. Then my senior year, John Cooper was my head coach. And then you know Trust comes back, and then Urban comes back. So I've had ties with every coach from Woody to to Urban. How how was that transition going to a new coach, going from uh, Earl Bruce to, to to Cooper? Was that was that weird or like I mean, did you just was it seamless? What was that? What was it like? It it was weird because you were used to uh, a certain style of coaching. Coach Coach Bruce was a lot like Woody and and Tress and Urban in the fact that he was a hands on coach. You know, he was a hands on coach. He had his hand and everything. You know, you know, controlled everything. You know, just like those other three guys. And Coach Cooper was a more lot more. Uh, very less hands-on coach. He would, you know, he pretty much delegated and let the, the the assistants do the coaching, 
and you know during practice and it, and it was not not saying it was a negative thing but it was just something different than what we were used to where he was not you know you know doing the coaching he was not in the huddles with us calling plays or you know things like that he was on the sideline walking up and down or he would just be in the background during practice you know he would be in the front during team meetings but once we broke up you'd be with your you know coordinators or your position coach so he was never really in the meetings doing any kind of hands-on coaching, you know. And uh, but you know he's a great recruiter. If you see the talent he had while he was a coach there, he's a great recruiter and had a lot of a uh, lot of success, you know. But uh, yeah. it was just the difference of he was a little bit more laid back, I guess you could say that he had more of a that Pac-10 West Coast type uh, style to him, where it was a little more a little more laid back than what Coach Bruce was. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now you you mentioned Chris okay. Carter and uh, how yeah. he missed his he missed the uh, the 1987 season. Um, there was another player that was suspended. I can't remember if it was 87 or, or the year after. George Cooper, who was also a running back, um, for all yeah. th- both those guys were suspended for taking money from an agent. Um, you also had a similar situation. I mean, what, can you kind of go into yeah. depth? Was it the same guy? Is it was were you guys dealing with the same yeah. guy? Yes, it was. It was the same guy. Actually, Chris had multiple. Had he had uh, another agent also. I just, you know, I uh, had the one guy, David Ludic, and Chris had signed with David Ludic and also Norby Waters and Lloyd Bloom. Those guys there. That, that, that's where a lot of this stuff had, you know, blew up with those guys, Lloyd Bloom and them, because they were dealing with the mafia and you know, a lot of uh, they had guys from all over the country. And well, my situation was where situation where we were um, an older player came up to me and said, Hey, I got a friend of mine that's interested in, you know, meeting you. He's a big fan or whatever. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, 19 years old, naive. I'm just finishing my sob. This is li- literally after the cotton, just, just after the cotton bowl, like weeks after the cotton bowl. And, uh, you know, so he says, I got somebody that's interested in, you know, meeting you. I'm thinking it's just a fan, you know? And so we go to meet and, then I, you know, we sit down talking and the guy started talking and I realized, okay, this is not just a fan, you know, this guy's an agent and stuff. So I'm just, you know, way I was raised, be polite, you know, and, uh, things like that. So I just being polite and I'm listening to him and I'm just saying to myself, okay, just say no, just get out of here and be polite and just go on about your business. You know, this is wrong. And so we're sitting there talking and he's showing me contracts of with other players names on it you know, some of the current players and former players that we had there. And I'm like, you know, same thing, just get out of here, just be polite. And then all of a sudden he pulls out an envelope with 10 brand new $100 bills. And, you know, me, you know, coming from, you know, where I grew up with my great uncle, we lived off of a, uh, his security, you know, social security and his retirement check, you know, so we didn't really come from, I was we weren't poor, but we didn't, you know, come from an affluent family or nothing like that. So I had never seen that kind of money in my life. And the whole time I'm sitting there saying no, no, no. And as soon as he put that money down there, that turned to a maybe and immediately to a yes. <laughs> and uh, that was the end of it, you know. And I signed, and I knew I was wrong for doing it as I did it. And as I'm leaving there with that money, I'm thinking, oh, I made a mistake. I made a mistake, you know. But you know, for me at the time, I didn't think I could turn turn back. So you know, I just tried to keep my distance from the guy. You know, he would send me money at the beginning of the school year and send me money you know in the middle of the year the end of the year it was only for like early i was aging with them for really just a year and a half because when they found out about about it was 
going into my senior year, right at the beginning of my senior year is when I was uh, found out. And it was because of the investigation with Chris. They found out about Chris and then, you know, during their investigations, found out about, about myself also. Damn. All because Chris took yeah. money from every single agent in the world. <laughs> it's pretty. Well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't blame Chris. I, like I said, no, I, I don't I blame him. Doing. You know, yeah, I, it was my. Yeah, no, I don't blame nobody. It was my my mistake that I made. But like I said before, it's a. Uh, it was a learning experience. I learned from it, and you know, I just you know, at the time, like I say, I wasn't naive because I knew it, I knew it was wrong. I just you know should have been more diligent and, and stood my ground. I should have been more sturdy and saying no and stood my ground, which I didn't. You know, I got I got sucked in by by the money. Do you think that that should be something that is changed? Obviously, the NCAA probably shouldn't let agents run rampant. Uh, but do you think that they should allow these kids to use their likeness to make a buck? Me personally, yeah, that's a tough one. See, you know, because my my, it, it was just different now than it was, you know, during my day. During my day, we didn't have, you know, TV contracts weren't as big. You know, there weren't as much. Like we didn't even talk about the football cars. There weren't as many cars out there as there is now. And there wasn't as many as much memorabilia, so you didn't you didn't have the money of all the the outside stuff of just playing on the field as they do now. And I, you know, and that part of me says yes, part of me says no. I think they should have they should be able to make money off their likeness. And if they can't make money off their likeness, no one else should. You know, if they're not going to allow the players, the athletes, to make money off their own likeness, then no one else should be able to make you know money off their likeness. You know, but if they're going to do it, they got to do it you know, across the table with everybody, you know, not just right. football players, but, but other sports also. And that's the whole tricky part about it. We're, we're, when they talk about paying, playing athletes and thing like things like that, they're generally talking about football or basketball because those are the big money, money sports for, for colleges, you know, but they don't, they forget there's a whole lot of other sports in at uh, different colleges too. You know, you got swimmers, you got divers, you got, you know, lacrosse teams, you got them. Now they, they, they're going to have to have the same, right as the uh as the uh, football and basketball players right well and then I, I can't remember who who we were talking to uh or who i was talking to a couple weeks ago but we were talking about the same thing and they mentioned too back in you know back when you went to co- they, at the woody hayes athletic facility they got a barber in there you know what i mean like so they're <laughs> they, i oh, mean they get free I food know. free clothes it's a oh, completely yeah. different ball game than in the 80s when you yes, know if you got yes. you probably use your money on gas and food they wouldn't they don't have to because they they're getting that stuff so it's de- it's definitely right. a different that environment it's definitely like, different. You know, I was in, when I was in the dorms, if you missed if you missed the dorm, the, you know, the cafeteria hours, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, you just missed you just missed your meal. You know what I mean? There wasn't no yeah. uh and if, you know, you didn't have money to and a lot of guys didn't, you know. It would be surprised at how many guys come to college who don't don't come from families who can even give them, you know, fifty dollars or twenty dollars. You'd be surprised how many guys don't have that, you know. And uh, but you know we we helped each other out. You know during the season they would have dinner for us, but during the off season you know we didn't have dinner for us. So you know it was uh, just one of those things. You had to make sure you were going to be there on time, or you're going to miss out on the meal. Wow. So and and then after all that, obviously you you hooked up with another former Buckeye and an actual and a former Green Bay Packer and Steve Luke. He was yeah. your he was your yeah. legitimate agent, correct? Yes. Again, my high school coach ties with my high school coach. My high school coach played with uh, Steve uh, at Ohio State during those times, 
And, you know, like I said, you know, they when I got in trouble, lost my scholarship, my high school coach took me, you know, took me and, uh, you know, said, hey, we're going to find somebody to take care of you. And Steve was had just become an agent, I think, the year before. He was just become a licensed agent the year before because he only he only had, like, two clients, I believe, at the time. You know, I could be wrong. He, I know he had two Buckeyes. He had Chris Spillman and William White were his, his two clients. And so – you know, I became his third client, and, and uh, so we we developed a uh, a strong relationship because you know Steve took care of me. He took me through the ropes, and uh, he made sure you know. I mean, I never forget the first time I met him. First thing he said, "Hey, I'm not paying you no money. Don't even get no money from me. <laughs> I don't want no <laughs> money. I'm done with that. <laughs> I'm done That's with cool. that." But uh, he he is. And we're again, we're still close friends to this day because of that relationship we had with each other during those during those years, uh, during my playing days. He is, uh, in my opinion, he's one of the most underrated Green Bay Packers. I mean, he started there for, I think, six years straight. And I, I, we're yeah. talking about back on the football card thing. I don't think he ever got a card. I don't think anybody even – I swear to God, I don't think he even got a football card. No, he does. He has, he has a oh, football he does? card. Oh, you okay. know, again, you're talking about – you think about the 70s and early 80s when he played, you know – there weren't a whole lot of, not, you know, I don't think everybody got cards back then. You know, I just think it was just the time where now, you know, everybody gets a card pretty much. If you're on a team, they'll, you know, they'll find a card for you. But back then, you know, they were limited at, at who, who got cards, what players were going to be on cards and stuff like that. So, but he did have football cards. Yeah, I didn't know that. He had a football card. Yes. And Steve was, was one of those unique players. You know, he came in, uh, in 72, I believe. And he came in from Maslin, Ohio. He was he was a center. He was a, he was a center when he when he came to Ohio State. He came to Ohio State as a center. Wow. They ended up playing three years. They ended up playing two years as a safety and got drafted by the the, the uh, Packers and played seven years in the NFL as a safety. Yeah. After starting out as a, as a center. That's crazy. You don't make you don't see that transition very often. No, you do not. Now, so you obviously missed your senior year. Um, I, I know that yeah. you. I've heard you talk about the the, the pre combine process, the pre draft process. You kind of got bumped and bruised, had a had a messed up ankle. Um, so you kind of had a rough go of it at the entire pre draft process. You still got drafted in the fifth round of the 1989 draft, and that was back when we had 12, 13, whatever it was, an insane amount yeah. of rounds. Did you know you're going to yeah. be drafted by the Packers? I mean, did, did Steve Luke um, – did he kind of hint at that? Or and what was that moment like? No, no, there was no hinting to it because, uh, you know, after after, I, after the combine, I didn't perform very well because I was injured. But then, you know, teams came back to see us on the pro day. And, you know, I had healed up and I got a chance to really uh, work out and get back in shape. And I had a pretty good pro day. And then um, a couple of teams would come back again. Like, I honestly thought that I was going to get drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals or the Dallas Cowboys because they were the ones showing the most interest in me at the time. Really? You know, the Packers showed interest, but, you know, I was getting more interest from those two teams, the Bengals and the – as a matter of fact, I think the Bengals – or one of the two said they were going to – they were looking to draft me in that round. Also, either the, round, the next round. But, yeah, I was uh, – got interest from those two teams. So I was going to either be a, a Bengal or, or a Cowboy is what I thought at the time. But I, at the time, you know, when you lose your senior year and you go in there and, and uh, I was just happy to get drafted anywhere. You know, I was just felt fortunate to even have the opportunity to get looked at by teams, you know. So like my, you know, Steve 
would tell you, you know, his, with his research going into my senior year, I was projected to go one of the first three rounds going into my senior year. But then obviously, you know, everything was derailed. And like I say, I was just happy to get, get a, uh, a chance to even be looked at. So what was that moment like when you saw your name come up? Well, I, I guess I don't really know how the draft was like back then, whether it was on ESPN, your name scrolled across, or you got the phone call. But that initial reaction when you knew this is it, I'm an NFL football player, what was that like for you? Well, to tell you, you know, it was funny because that was like one of the, I think that 89 might have been the first year that they that ESPN did a production for the draft. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that might be the first time they did a, the full draft. And the first day – they did five rounds the first day and they you know, they televised it and they said at 9 PM when, when, uh, 9 PM hits, we're going to, they, they cut off all the, you know, cut it off the TV, but then they kept, uh, they, that was going to finish that round, whatever round they were in, they was going to finish the round, but it was going to be not televised anymore. And I got a call about, I would say about nine Oh seven. And getting the call from the Packers saying that they're drafting me. So I got a call right after they stopped televising. So I never got a chance to, to see my wow. name on TV. <laughs> that's yeah, so... right after that. Wow, that's but crazy. It was, it was, but it was it was awesome. Like I say, it was a dream come true. But I knew that wasn't the final thing. You know, to, just to get a chance to get drafted by the Packers, I knew, you know, just again from my experience of and having Steve Luke as as an agent to to coach me through what to expect. I knew that I had to still make the team, you know, just because you're drafted doesn't mean you automatically make the team. You got to go out there and perform and still make the team, you know, me and plus me being a fifth round draft pick, it wasn't like, you know, I was a top guy and I was guaranteed a spot at least for a year or two. I still had to go out there and perform. And uh, so I just went into it as if, Hey, you know, this is my chance to take advantage of it. You know, and one thing that Steve told me was whatever you do, when you get in training camp, make sure you learn the playbook. So you know it yourself because there'll be veterans that may try to tell you the wrong thing because they're threatened that you're going to take their job. And sure enough, that happened to me in training camp. Had a guy uh, tell me running back. Yeah, the running back tell me the wrong way to go on the play. And But I, fortunately for me, I knew what the play was. And I'm like, oh, heck, no, he did not just do that. But, yeah, wow. it, it was a true. Yeah, had a had a guy try to tell me to go the wrong way because he Are was a sure? veteran and, you know, yeah, he did. Are you That's sure that wasn't by accident? Oh, heck no. No, it wasn't. It wasn't by accident. Nope. How how was the interaction with you with that guy? That feels super awkward. That's really hard for me to believe and I think it's I think that a lot of our listeners are going to be really puzzled by that because you always see stories about like, oh, Aaron Rodgers is going to be this guy's mentor. Or this guy's going to be this guy's mentor. But that guy blatantly lied to you. How how was well, that locker room think, interaction? I think it was more, more like that back then than it is now. You don't see that. You don't. At least I have never seen that happen. You know, during my time in the league playing, that was the first time and only time I ever saw or heard of anything like that. You know, generally guys are are trying to help out other guys. You know, what I mean, when I, even even my rookie year had a, another running back that took me under his wing, and you know, he was a veteran player. Actually, he played for the Browns for many years. Uh, Herman Fontenot, you know, like a big brother to me. And Herman would show me the ropes, you know, show me and, you know, see things in practice. He would, you know, kind of help coach me out a little bit on certain little things that he learned during his career. And they kind of rubbed off on me. So when I became the veteran, when I would come, you know, 
come together or we have young running backs come into camp, I would try to help those young running backs out as opposed to try and, and hurt them like the guy, you know, like was, was done to me, you know. So, so, so you never sabotage Marshall Falk? I tried to, but he was just <laughs> damn good. <laughs> That's why well, I, want, I want to continue to talk about the Packers because we, uh, you played with maybe one of the, I don't know, most heralded quarterbacks of all time and Brett Favre. Uh, how, yeah. What was that like? Well, you know, I only played played one year with Brett, and Brett was uh, – Yeah, but you, you were the starter. Weren't you the yeah. starter his first game he started, correct, right? I was starter in the first game he came in and when he first came in against Cincinnati when uh, Don Mikowski got hurt. You know, Don sprained his, had a really bad ankle sprain, and Brett came in to finish the game through a game-winning touchdown pass, and that was it. You know, that was the rest of his history. Wow. Did you oh, yeah. know that he was going to be the dude? We knew Brett was special. You know, we knew it was special. For one, you know, he was happy-go-lucky because at the time he didn't have to play because Don McCoskey was a starter. Brett was the backup, and I don't think Brett was expecting to play. And, uh, you know, but we knew he had talent. I mean, he had a strong arm. He was very, very accurate with his passes. And uh, he was just a down-to-earth guy, man. He was, you know, one of those guys that was just one of the one of the boys, you know. And the same with, you know, like Don McCoskey. Don McCoskey one of the boys. And people forget, you know, not everybody, but, you know, Pac- most Packer fans don't forget. Don was a Pro Bowl receiver, Pro Bowl quarterback just a few years previously. But then he had a shoulder injury. And, you know, after a shoulder injury on his throwing arm, that kind of slowed, slowed him down a little bit. But he was a very good quarterback also. You know, he went to the Pro Bowl you know, two years previously. And so, you know, Brett came in once Brett started, you know, he just started making plays and he was just, you know, was, I think it was a perfect match with him and, and Mike Holmgren because Mike Holmgren became the coach that year, 92. And uh, Mike was on him. Mike was the, the one coach that would, would yell at Brett. He would get on Brett when he, when Brett needed to be get on, you know, but no, he was very talented. We knew he was good. And what makes me laugh is, when I went back to work for the Packers, and I was there when we drafted Aaron Rodgers. Oh, and wow. Aaron Rodgers and, and Brett were there. And, and it made me laugh because Aaron kind of reminded me of, of Brett when Brett first came to Green Bay. You know, he wasn't as wild or, or, or as uh, as uh, outgoing and, and, and playful as Brett, Brett was, but he had that same type of confidence that Brett had when he was young, you know. He had that arrogance, not not should say arrogance, but had a slight slight arrogance about him that he knew he was he knew he was good. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's crazy. Oh yeah. So did you ever do the Lambo oh, leap? Yeah. No, I was already gone the, when uh when they first did that. Oh, is he that right? Did it? Yeah, I would. I want to say it was in '93 when he did the Lambo leap, and I had that was the year first year of free agency. That's when I went down to Tampa Bay. Okay, so and, I wasn't and, there. Now, when you went down to Tampa Bay, that's when you earned your nickname, right? Because people are kind of confused that? about that. That's when you got what? were called Pookie, right? Nope. I was called Pookie shortly after I was born. My grandmother named me Pookie after I was born. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I've had that nickname my whole life. I didn't know because if, if you look back, like, my like okay, I'll use the football card example or magazines. I, you don't start seeing it until you're with the Buccaneers. So I didn't know if that was something that. Now, if you look at like the 1989, 1990, 91 
Packer, uh, one of their Packer guides or something. They have it in the guide, Vince Pookie Workman. Is that right? Wow, oh, yeah. I didn't yeah, know. Well, I their... feel bad now. Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah. <laughs> that has been my nickname since I was born. Okay, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so and after the... my whole life. And after you were after you were with the Buccaneers, you obviously went to the Panthers. And I, I kind of want to dive yeah. into that a little bit because obviously this is a Browns podcast, and a lot of our listeners are Browns fans. And the Browns were right. uh, an, an expansion team in 1999. You have firsthand experience with that with the Panthers in '95. What is yeah. how's that locker room like? Is it is it weird? What, what was it like being on an expansion team? Well, for me, it was kind of it was it was weird because I didn't go through training camp with with the Panthers. See, I, I was, I was with the Buccaneers all off season into the last uh, cut of the, uh, that training camp. You know, we were going through a transition with the Buccaneers. They had just got a new owner and uh, you know, they were making some moves and stuff. And so the last cut, I was re- cut by the Buccaneers. And then two days later I was picked up by the Panthers. So I didn't go through training camp. So when I got there, you know, they pretty, you know, training camp was over and we were getting ready for the, the opening game. And, uh, you know, so I was, you know, in the process of learning and meeting, you know, well, some guys I already knew that because I played against them or, you know, had a couple guys that would have, you know, previous teammates of mine. But I was uh, learning, you know, the Carolina system on the fly. You know, I get there and I got six days or whatever to get ready for the first game. And then uh, we played, we practiced in South Carolina, just just uh, in Rock Hill, South Carolina, just on the, across the border from North Carolina. Then we played our home games at uh, Clemson University. So we played oh, the home wow. games at Clemson. So we would drive like two, two and a half hours to play a home game. Wow. Oh, yeah. So it was because they were in the process of building the stadium. The stadium was in, in construction, so it wasn't ready yet. So I've never played in the, the Carolina Panther Stadium. Oh, yeah. wow. That's crazy. So I, mean, I guess I guess if you – because you guys are all professionals and you kind of have a prior relationship, and, and you, obviously this is the age of free agency where everybody's kind of bouncing around, it's probably not as shocking as if you were, I don't know, to, to be placed on a new college team randomly or anything like that, right? Correct, correct. You know, hmm. you, you know, it was still still early in the uh, free agency era, but you know, when you when you see guys that you've played against, or you know, you know, by that time I was a seven year veteran. So I had been in the league a while. So there was a lot of guys that I had already known or played against. We had, you know, relationships from, you know, maybe being on a team together or just, you know, being at different charity events together, things like that, you know. So it was, uh, you know, so it wasn't that big of a deal for me to, to make the adjustment. So and then you landed with the Colts. And I, I want to ask you just one question about the Colts, then we'll move on to your, your scouting resume. Um, uh-huh. You play with Jim Harbaugh. Yes. Yes, okay, is is he a is he a whack job? Was he a whack job back then too? Or <laughs> Jim is a different breed. Jim is a different breed. I mean, I will say this about Jim. Jim is a definitely, you know, as a player, he was a competitor. You know, he was a, you know, our quarterback, and he he played hard. You know, he was he was a good teammate. He definitely was a good teammate. I would give him that. You know, he was a good teammate. We would do. We would you know, you know. Um, joke with each other about the rivalry and things like that. But uh he was definitely a good good teammate. You know, he didn't do any of the uh quirky stuff you you seen that he was doing as a coach or anything like that. But he was I, I thought he was a good teammate. He was a good quarterback. You know, he was very competitive. 
I could see that. I mean, we went to the we went to the AFC Championship. We were you know a couple plays away from going to the Super Bowl in '95. That's true. He That's throws true. Those are hell married that hell married that didn't uh, that didn't you know work, but you know we were just a couple plays from going to Super Bowl. So who is the most talent? You, you were in the NFL for a while. Again, again, eight years is a long time in the league. Uh, you played yeah. for Ohio State, one of the one of the I would feel like one of the most illustrious programs um, in all of college football in the landscape. Who's oh, the yeah. most talented player you ever played with? Well, for me, it's without question, Marshall Falk. Really? Oh yes, yeah. without question, Marshall Falk. I mean, very talented, very bright. I mean, and it's, it's not like it's a head and shoulders above everybody else. You know, there's there's many athletes, many players I play with that are right there with him. But if I had to choose one, you know, he would he would be the one. You know, I mean, I play with a lot of very talented players, but he would definitely be the one that I would say is the most talented because he could do everything. You know, he had uh, had a very high football IQ, but he could do he could play multiple positions. He could play running back, quarterback, receiver, you know, DB. If you ask him to, he could do it all. And you played with him when he was still kind of just entering the league. So you you're telling me he was so good that you kind of knew what he was going to be even back then, huh? Oh yeah, I'm not surprised at all about any of the success he's had, you know. Wow. And you know, not and, and I still think that he's, you know, surprising. I was, I still think he's underrated, you know. Really? I still think he's underrated. Yeah. I mean, he's he's he was that good. He could do. So, I mean, you know, ask anybody that's played with him, they would tell you that you know he's he is special. And the thing about him, though, it's funny because he is. When I first went to Indianapolis, he was in his second year in 95 and we went to India. I got, you know, I got signed by the, uh, the, the coach. So I go in there, my locker was right next to his. And so I get in there first day and stuff, you know, everybody's getting out of the shower and stuff. And then, uh, you know, like I see Marshall Fox next to me, I'm like, cool. I see Marshall, you know, Marshall, he comes out out of the shower and I look at it and he's just, I'm like, that's Marshall. Cause if you look at him, he has, he's just there. Like you see some guys are physical specimens. You see a great athlete, you know, you look at Terrell Owens, you know, he's got, you know, cut up everywhere. You see these other guys, and they're just physical specimens. Marshall right. does not look like an athlete at all. Right. <laughs> I think I think I know, know what you're saying. So you're saying when Marshall Falk walked out of the shower, he was just small everywhere, and you were just he like. small. I'm joking. He just had no, no, no muscles. Uh, he he I mean, he wasn't like he was small. He just you know he didn't have the definition. He had no muscle, no muscle definition. Like you know he didn't have the he had big thighs, but they weren't cut up. You know, right, right. Decent size iron, but they weren't cut up. You know, it's, he didn't you know he didn't have that big massive chest and those big massive shoulders. But when he put his uniform on, I mean that's I'm telling you he's like Clark Kent Superman. Out of uniform, he just looked like a regular old guy. In that uniform, makes sense. He's, he's like he's like Superman. That makes sense. That's you know, the I mean, you, that, there's I there's pro- that's probably why he went. That's probably a big reason why he ended up at San Diego State is because he didn't. He lacked kind of well, those physical traits you look for. No, not necessarily. No, if you if you listen, if you see this thirty for thirty, you know he'll tell you why he went to San Diego State because everybody else wanted to recruit him. You know, didn't want to let they weren't going to let him play running back. Most schools that were recruiting because he wanted to go to Miami or Florida, but Miami or Florida told him that he was going to come and play defensive back. 
And oh, like I didn't know that. LSU, they, they were going to have to play receiver and stuff, but he wanted to play running back, and San Diego State was the only school that said that they would let him play running back. Oh, I didn't that's know why that. He, that's, that's, and that's the reason why he ended up out there. You know, he's here to tell you, you know, he his first choice that he wanted to go to was Miami. Wow. And obviously your football knowledge is just absolutely insane, and not only because you spent such a long time in the NFL, but you were also a scout for the Green Bay Packers in 1999 and yeah. 2000. Um, first, I want to ask you, what's that job like? Like, how, how did they distribute? Were you like an area scout? Were you traveling out to colleges? How, how did that process work for you? No, I was a pro scout. Pro scouts are in-house uh, where we were uh, – we scouted the NFL. So what I would do – uh, me, Reggie McKenzie, uh, we had other scouts that pro scout. And then one other scout, Mark Littlebridge, we had different uh, divisions that we would take. I would like to take the AFC, well, it's the North now, but they, before they had AFC, like the AFC Central, the AFC North, the AFC South, and, uh, you know, different. And I would just scout those teams and scout every player on the roster. Really? And like during training, yeah, during training camp, we're looking at every player because there, there's young guys, mostly young guys that who, potentially may get cut because we may be looking to sign them to our team. You know, if they, if we, if we had a, a certain, uh, how we had them ranked during the draft, certain guys we were interested in, but we didn't draft them because somebody else got to them and, you know, they get cut by another team. And we think that they're better than the player that we already have on our squad. We'll sign them and cut the player we have on our squad, you know? So you're always looking for to upgrade your, the bottom half of your the bottom part of your, your roster. So that's what we do during most of the year. I would do advanced scouting. Say, for example, if we we're playing the, the Browns. I would wherever the Browns are playing the week before we played them. I would go scout them and just kind of see, you know, try to pick up on things that I could pick up that you don't normally see on film, you know, things like that, and just to kind of get a feel for what's going on, how they rotate their players, and you know, different things like that to maybe give us a tip on, you know, what's going on and stuff like that. So. But yeah, so I, yeah. I, I did talent scout. I was part of the draft, you know, we'd go to the combine and scout the players at the combine, you know, watch. And the only time I really looked at the college players was around draft time, you know, oh, really? or, if, or if we had, a, or if we had a young guy that we were interested in, we would, you know, didn't have enough tape on him. And like say, you know, a young guy gets drafted, use Jalen Marshall, for example, say like Jalen Marshall gets drafted by the Jets, but he didn't play. Maybe he got hurt in training camp, but didn't play a whole lot. So when they cut him, we need to know, okay, what is he like? So we may go back and look at his college tape to see what he did in college because we didn't have enough tape on him in the NFL. So we would, that's the only time we would go back and look, look at college tape. Interesting. So, and I, I, I really try and Adam, uh, we this podcast really tries to focus on the draft and the scouting pro, pro or the scouting process. And Adam and I both try to write pieces where we're trying to scout college guys. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for someone that's trying to do that, or like what? Because you played the you played the game at the highest level. So, what maybe something that we don't understand that you do when you're watching football compared to us, or you know, a key trait that you're looking for in a player. Well, it obviously depends on the position because each position has different uh, attributes you're looking for. Uh, the one thing I would say, and, you know, and even like now when people ask me about different players here, I say, look, I, you know, I can look at them on TV, but I can't give you a, a true scouting report because, you know, I haven't watched enough film. The one thing I learned from Ron, Ron Wolf, who was a general manager when I got hired by the Packers, who, who hired me in Green Bay to be a scout who was a Hall of Fame uh, in the Hall of Fame now, and you know, most people that know about football know who Ron Wolf is. Mm-hmm. Very one of, one of the best talent scouts, 
you know, in the history of the NFL. And Ron Wolf told me one of the, the things he said, make sure you look at least three to four game films because you can't really judge a guy just based on one game, you know, because that might just be a really good game he had. And it might be because I made that mistake scouting the fullback one time and I see, we played against the Packers. And, he, and uh, he was, I think he was from San Francisco. I forget the guy's name. And Ryan asked me to watch film on him and do a report because that's what we would do. We watch the film, and then we write a report about that guy that we just watched the film on. Like given, you know, so if he goes in and look at it, we go back to look at it. We don't have to watch film. We just look and say, okay, this is what this guy can do. This is what he does. You know, you know, you know all the attributes he has and things like that. So I wrote a report off one game, and, and I was like, this guy is pretty good. And Ron asked me about him. He, you know, said, so what do you think about this guy? And I gave it to him. He said, you know. The guy is a reject. Because as we, you know, if that's like, you know, he's he's not very good. The reject is not very good. And so, and I was shocked, and I was like kind of embarrassed. And he said, "How many games of film did you watch on him?" I said, "Just one." And, and I told him which game I watched. He said, "Do you realize that was his best game? He's never had a game like that. That was his best game that he played." So he told me, "You got to watch film more than one game. You got to watch these three to four game tapes." to really get a feel for what a guy. Like, obviously, some guys you go, you can watch maybe two or three games and get a guy. Like a guy like Barry Sanders, you don't have to watch a whole lot of games film on him right. to know what kind of player he is. But, you know, certain other guys that, you know, that don't get to play a lot or guys you may not be those big-name guys, you got to watch – even the big-name guys, you got to watch film on them to, get a really, to really get a good feel of what type of player they are. Is there so you name? Is there any other instances where you watched someone and you thought, man, that guy's really good. I really hope he comes to us, or I really hope we can get a shot at him. And then he ends up just not being very good. Is that has that ever happened to you? Or is that is that a very, is there a memorable moment? Well, there are times. Yeah, you see a guy that that uh, you know performs well, but or once they get there for whatever reason, they they may not you know. But what do you do? You know, you're looking for a guy that that can fit your system looking for what your what your system is you know and when you know people talk about uh well this guy's just a system guy he's a you know yeah everybody's a system guy because teams draft for what their system is you know what i mean you're not going to draft uh, a, a, a quarterback that is just a, a, a option quarterback to put him in a passing offense you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. You're going to find, you know, you're going to find somebody that fits your system for what you're trying to do. I mean, there are exceptions of guys that can pretty much play in any system or you can just make the system around them, you know, like, a, you know, a Lamar Jackson type, somebody special like that. But that's, those are rare occurrences. So you're drafting for guys that are going to fit your system. And, you know, there are guys that you draft. I use Ron Wolf, for example, again, you know, his last draft before he retired, you know, he drafted, it was one of his worst drafts. You know, he drafted a couple guys that were good players, but they didn't pan out to be as good as we thought they would be, you know, for whatever reason. Do you, so when you're watching and I guess that's, and that's something that I struggle with. So I'm, I'm actually really curious about this when I'm watching teams that only run um, a specific certain, certain schemes. Like for instance, uh, you're watching a defensive back. Well, he only plays off man coverage. I don't really know how he mm-hmm. translates to, you know, press. How, how do you right. scout that? How do you evaluate that? You know, or even like an offense, you talked about, um, 
you, you talked about Lamar Jackson. We'll use Patrick Mahomes as an example. He came from an offense where he threw the ball 60 times a game, and they were a large right. part all five-yard, you know, your typical Mike Leach offense, or I guess Cliff Kingsbury. How do you do that? How do you take into account that? Well, that's, that's where the uh, in-person scouting comes in. For, like, colleges, we have our college scouts. They will go to practice to watch practice, and they'll watch film, you know, some of their, their game films. So they you rely on them to, tr- to scout those college guys to give you an idea what kind, of, what kind of player they are. Then, you know, during the draft, we come in collectively as a scouting, scouting department and uh, with, coach, with coaches also. And we look at the player and kind of get a try to feel, you know, get an idea of what kind of player he is. Then, then you go to the combine. Combine, you're going to have you see those guys make plays or make throws that they don't normally do. So you kind of got an idea of what kind of player they are from game film, which you always kind of go off of. That's that's going to be the the number one thing anyway. And then when you see him in person, you can say, okay, he can make that throw. We see him make that throw here. So that's 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 the type of situation where you will have some of those guys who really look good in the system they are in college because they may be just making they can only make certain throws then when you get into their pros they they can't make those other throws they don't you know pan out to be as well as you think they are or vice versa they like you know like a Patrick Mahomes a guy who only throwing short short passes which you don't realize what kind of player he is because you're not seeing him throw make those other throws because the, the system that he's playing in college doesn't allow you to see what it, what else he can do. And I give you an example with Brett, Brett Favre. In, in high school, Brett, that Brett played for his dad. Brett was an option quarterback in high school. Dad, Brett's dad never never let him throw the ball. So he goes wow. to the miss. And, no, and then they realize, okay, this guy's got a gun. But his dad never let him throw the ball because his dad was an old school coach where he just ran the option. You know, so Brett never threw the ball in high school. Yeah. That's that's wild to me. I, I had I had no idea. You know, and, and obviously being a Browns fan, I'm used to constant disappointment on draft day. And it may it makes sense what you're right. saying too. I mean, even even a guy like Trent Richardson, it seems so cut and dry. You know, you talked about Marshall Falk not looking like a you know a god, and Trent Richardson did. He had muscles right, on top right. of muscles. He was fast. He right, was strong. Right. But you know, when you watch what he did at Alabama, and he had four first round offensive linemen in front of him, and he never had to actually use his vision. And then when it goes to the Cleveland Browns, and you're like, oh, he can't find the hole. It's just, it's very, it's, I guess it's not an exact well, science. It's very interesting. Well, Trent Richardson, he, he he ran to contact. He he didn't run from contract. He ran to contract contact. I'm sorry. You know, he ran to contact, and his running style was just a physical type running style. You know, what I mean, he was going to try to wear you down. And like you say, once you get to the to the pros, you ain't out running or just running over everybody. You know, right. you got guys, other other pros out there also. So, you know, and, and you know how it is in Cleveland. The one thing I see, you know, I got a lot of friends who are, you know, Central Ohio here who are diehard Browns fans. And I tell them the biggest issue with the Browns is they they have never, I mean, especially in recent years, they have never had a system where they got to, to develop. I use these quarterbacks as examples. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, all of them are very successful quarterbacks. The one thing they all have in common, they've been in the same system for pretty much their whole career. You know what I mean? So they didn't have to really learn anything new. Aaron, Aaron had to learn a new system last year for the first time 
to learn a whole new system. And, you know, people say he struggled, he didn't do it, but he's learning the whole new system, so you're going to have to adjust. But they still went to the eight, NFC Championship. And then you got, you know, Tom. People like Tom Brady next year, he's not going to start out, you know, as flashy as he was in New England because he's going to have to adjust to his new system and new players and things like that. He's going to still have success, but it's just going to be – it's not going to be right out the box. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy how complex things are, especially when you're just watching the game and you don't really understand the nuances of the playbook and, and you know, how, what all goes into it, and it's pretty crazy to think about it. You were also a strength coach for the Green Bay Packers in 2006, right? Yeah, yep. Yes, sir. I got – uh, after Ron Wolf retired, uh, Mike McCarthy was the strength was the uh, hit the general manager head coach, and our strength coach was looking for a, a third guy to hire, and uh, he kept asking Mike if if you know if I can move to the weight room, you know Barry Rubin, our strength coach, because I was always down the weight room, you know working out with the guys and stuff like that. The players, mm-hmm. I had a good rapport with the players, and Mike came and talked to me. And he asked if uh, if he could uh, if I could go down there and be in the weight room just because he wanted somebody that could relate to the players being a former player. And, you know, I was at the time I was a little younger, so I could, you know, train with the players, work out with them and stuff, do the workouts with them in off season if they needed, you know, you know, needed me to and things like that. So I became an assistant strength coach. And that's, that's your... the field I'm in now. I'm in the fitness, the uh, fitness uh, business now. Yeah. Actually talk about that a little bit. Cause you're over, you're over in Dublin with peak, correct? Yes, Pete Kimber performance. Yes, yes, so, I am. And uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was gonna, I was going to ask, what is it that you do over there? How can people get involved? I mean, because this is something they can hire you to train them and make them a better athlete. How what is that process like, and how can people reach out to you and, and get started? Well, uh, uh, we're at Peak Human Performance of Dublin. You can just look up Peak, you know, three words: Peak Human Performance of Dublin, and uh, we have a, it's a private gym, you know, it's not like LA fitness or anything like that or lifetime. It's a private gym where, you know, you're in our gym by appointment. We have different classes. We have athlete classes. We have, uh, adult classes. We have private training, you know, group training, you know, so to speak, say with, uh, we train teams, you know, we train club volleyball teams. We play, we train lacrosse teams. We know hockey teams. We play, we train every sport. We train anywhere from, um, elementary school age to you know professional athletes we have a lot of professional athletes that train with us also and then we have the uh everyday person that just wants to get in shape you know have overall wellness uh we got elderly people that come to train with us we have a pilates studio we have nutritionists all, all of us are actual certified nutritionists but we have a a, a a nutritionist on site also one of our trainers and uh you know, like I say, it's the best place I've ever worked. Other than working for an NFL team, I've trained in private training before. This is by far the best place I've ever trained. Just the camaraderie we have with the the coaches that are there, and we all get along very well. We always we're always learning. We do a lot of educational stuff uh, to better our our gym and to better uh, help our clients. And uh, like I said, we have athletes. Uh, right now, I'm training. We have athlete programs for our young athletes. We have group training. And, you you know, your group training is going to be based off of what your ability is. So we don't just put you in a, a, a certain level just because of your age. You know, you have to do certain exercises, and we and we teach you, prop, you know, proper movements to make sure that you're training and moving the, the proper way you're supposed to. That's, that's, that's awesome. 
Are, are you guys being affected by the – what are you guys doing for the COVID situation? Can I still make an appointment and go in there or – Yes, you can. Like just like anybody else, we are. You know, we've we've made our classes a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. So we don't. You know, obviously, we did the classes not as big as they were before. Uh, where we our gym is the gym size is big enough that we we are. You know, we got plenty of space to where people don't have to worry about being up in each other's face. You know, our classes that we had would be used to be ten ten people in the class. We cut it down to like four to six people now. And, uh, you know, as trainers, we wear masks. We, you know, we, uh, everybody comes in, they, they get, uh, checked, you know, temperature checked and everything before they come in. And if we feel that they're not looking healthy or they didn't look like they have any issues, we, you know, we won't let them in. We tell them that hey, you have to, you have to leave. We don't think you're, you know, you're healthy right now. And, uh, so we're pretty, uh, and we have the health, you know, the health department has come by numerous times just to check on us to make sure we're doing things correctly. And, you know, we're, we're doing just fine. Well, that means Adam can't go. Adam never looks healthy. <laughs> no, I think that's that's really cool that you're able to that you're able to still continue to do what you love. Obviously, you're in the NFL, so you don't need to do this. It, and I think it's you're doing it where you grew up, you know, in your community. And I think that's really awesome. I also think it's really cool. One awesome thing about talking to former Ohio State Buckeyes is that when you talk to them. They just randomly bring up 20 to 25 other former Buckeyes that they didn't even play with, like you with with Steve Luke or talking oh, yeah. about your connection oh, with yeah. all the coaches. It's such a unique fraternity. Like, what is that like? Well, just like you said, it is a fraternity. It's a brotherhood. And, you know, there's many a guys that I have, uh, since I moved back to Ohio, that I've got in contact with just because of different events around town, you know, going to Buckeye games and, you know, tailgating with former Buckeyes. I go to, uh, you know, golf outings and different charity events where former Buckeyes are at and, and uh, going to Buckeye cruise. The last three years I've been on a Buckeye cruise with a lot of guys. And, and it's just, you know, so fun to be able to mingle and, and be around these guys who are from different generations. I, you know, I've, uh, because, you know, I hang out with guys from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and the 2000s, you know, I mean, uh, Joshua Perry, nice young guy, and, you know, the Bourne brothers, you know, guys from the 2000s that, you know, I, I hang with. I see Mike Doss all the time. I see Rex Kern, you know, Greg Lashuka, you know, Ike Kelly, those guys from the 60s, you know, Arch, Archie, you know, Archie's everywhere. I see Archie all the time, and, you know, so I see everybody, you know, different guys from different eras, and when we see each other, it's almost like, you think we played together. We sit around just talking and, and, and have a good time. And you think that we were teammates, but we, you know, we played in different, different uh, decades. And, uh, but there's that, that tie of being a Buckeye. And it's like, once a Buckeye, always a Buckeye. And it's a, it's a great fraternity. And, you know, being back here in Columbus, uh, there's a lot of former players that, that make Central Ohio their home because Central Ohio has grown so much and there's a lot, you know, has a lot to offer here. And plus, you know, when you're a Buckeye from here, you're going to have teammates that are going to help you in whatever aspect of life that you, uh, you you choose to go. That's awesome. And you're going to see me at the Cruise for Cancer this year, too. I'll be there. I'll say hi to you. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, you have to. It's a great time, man. Have you been? Have you been before? No, it'll be my first year. My uh, my dad and I are both gonna be on there, so looking I'm forward to it. You, it's a great experience. It's a great, it's a great cause. You know, it's a great cause, but it, you know, it's such a great time. Uh, it's like a big tail. It's like a tailgate on water. You know, you know it's a tailgate on water. The whole ship is just, you know, Buckeye. It's a big ship of Buckeye. 
That's awesome. That's all. I'm excited. I'm oh, excited. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely have to say hi to you when I get on there. Oh yeah, but for I, sure. I appreciate you you coming on tonight, Adam. Did you have any questions? I know I soaked up the first hour and a half. <laughs> did you have anything I missed? No, I know when to shut up, Josh. I, uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 we were we we're very thankful that you came on. I will try. We won't waste any more of your night. I know it's it's, it's ten thirty. I told you it was going to be twenty minutes. We had you on the phone for an hour, but I. That's all was, right, no problem. You, it was an awesome conversation, and we really we really appreciate you coming on. Right. Well, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy. Or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut, skin-on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. What would you like with your fries? Try them today. Only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's, taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. Are you an architect, contractor, or engineer looking for more knowledge about energy efficiency? Here's your opportunity to fuel your future. PG&E's Energy Centers offer more than 500 free online classes. Get practical insights, continuing education credits, and prepare for a range of certifications. From industry experts through live webinars or over 80 on-demand classes. Enroll at pge.com training. That's pge.com training.